Hey, we're in Colossians chapter 1. I hope you brought your Bibles. If you didn't, you can use your phones. But it's really important to follow along in this section of Scripture. Really, really heavy uh, portion of Scripture. The, the title of the study is, is Christ in You, the Hope of Glory. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but if you're a Christian, you know, Christ lives in you. You are the temple of God. And so it's an awesome thought, you know, because when Jesus Christ comes and takes residence in your heart, that means that you, somewhere along the line, made a decision to accept him as your Lord and Savior. You know he died for you, rose again, and you said yes. You said, yes, I will follow Jesus Christ. And when that happened, he came to live inside of you. And so, you know, I was thinking about this. How many of you guys, just out of curiosity, had a cup of coffee this morning? I'm just curious. Wow, not that many of you. I thought you guys were all saved this whole time. (laughs) So I'm just joking. So, you know, if you didn't have coffee, I'm sure you had something else, right? But so, um, you know, your body kind of enjoys the coffee, sometimes needs the coffee, wants the coffee. But, but there was a vessel somehow involved. You know, somehow there was a, a, a vessel through which the coffee was poured. And so in one sense, that's kind of what we're going to see today, that Paul the Apostle, he, he uses himself as just the example of a vessel through whom God would pour uh, his love, his son, his salvation through. And so it's really important for us to get that understanding. As a matter of fact, here in chapter 1, 24, all the way to chapter 2, verse 5, it kind of has to do with Paul's ministry. And we're going to see that Paul had never gone to Colossae. They didn't know him. And so I think it's for that reason that he shares a few things. And so notice what we read here in Colossians 1, verse 24. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. And so later on as we go through, I'm going to give you guys an outline, but um, for now I'll just give you one point at a time. Number one, we're going to see the suffering as a minister. Notice again there in verse 24, I now rejoice, he says, in my sufferings, plural, for you. The New Living Translation puts it this way, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. And so you want Christ in them. Man, you see that person on the street, they're strung out maybe on drugs, or it might even be mental illness. Listen, Jesus can heal them. So we want Christ in them. You want Christ in your family. You want Christ in your loved ones. This is what the world needs. It needs Christ. And so how is it going to happen? Well, there's got to be vessels. There has to be ministers willing to suffer in order that they might be used in God's hands. And that's why Paul here in verse 24, he says, I I, I now rejoice in my sufferings. As you study the life of Paul, you realize that he suffered immensely. Even as he writes this letter, he's writing from prison. He had been uh, persecuted and arrested for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ with boldness and faithfulness. And so the the Greek word here, translated suffer, it, it, it refers to strong emotional suffering and agony. So it was definitely physical, but it was also emotional. 
the, the word translated afflictions there, it, it means distress or pressure or trouble. And Paul the Apostle, a lot of you guys know his ministry. Um, and, and those of you who do, man, you'd probably be the first to say, I wish God would use my life the way he used Paul the Apostle, man, to, to help people, to bless people, to keep families together, to, to save them. You know, God used Paul in such a way so that, man, thousands, if not tens of thousands, maybe millions would go to heaven. Lord, use my life like that. And we want to be used, but I guess the big question is, are we willing to to suffer the way that he did? Are we willing to make those sacrifices the way that he did? You know, probably the best portion of scripture to read a list of his sufferings is in 2 Corinthians 11, in verse 23 through 28. He he says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I'm more. And what he had to do was he had to defend his ministry. And he says this, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. In other words, he almost died over and over and over again because the enemy was after him. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. In other words, you know, 39 lashes, five times across his body. From the three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. That time he actually did die. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I have been in the deep. Imagine floating on wood in the middle of the ocean. This is what Paul did. He suffered for the sake of the gospel. In journeys, often in perils. That word perils, it means dangers. In dangers of waters, in dangers of robbers, in dangers of my own countrymen, in dangers of the Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the wilderness, in dangers in the sea, in dangers among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleep sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, cold, naked, beside these things, what else comes upon me? My deep concern for all the churches. This was heavy on his heart. And what we find is that Paul definitely suffered for the people, not vicariously. Jesus Christ, he's the one that bore our sins. But what we find is that here Paul went through the sacrificial sufferings in order that we, that people, would have Christ in them. You know, something interesting is that when Paul was saved, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. The God, you guys might remember that in Acts 9, 22 to 26, talks about that. Why? And so when Jesus appeared to him, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so what that means is when the body of Christ suffers, Jesus suffers. And this is all Paul is saying right here. As I go through these afflictions of Christ, as I'm suffering, Jesus is suffering in that sense. But the reason I'm suffering, he says, is because of you. And so when I think of the the suffering, I I think of uh, the sacrifices that unfortunately a lot of people are not willing to make for the sake of the gospel. They'll say, well, I'll be a Christian or I'll serve in ministry as long as it's convenient. And there's no sacrifice. There's no willingness to sacrifice. You know, when I think of sacrifice as a guy, you know, a lot of times how we go to sports, right? And you guys know what a sacrifice is in baseball? You guys know what that is? So some of you guys do. So you got a, a runner on first base and you're up to bat and you want to hit a home run, right? You want to you get on base. But coach says, no, you need to make a sacrifice. You need to kind of, you know, be willing to get out in order that that runner might advance. You need to be willing to deprive yourself of something in order that 
others might be blessed. And this is what I think lacks in the church. We're not willing to, to sacrifice. We're not willing to suffer. Then how will Christ be formed in those people that we love? This is the example of a minister. You know, what we find is that even as a church, Paul here had never met the Colossians. He had influenced them. I'll bet you almost anything, for those of you guys who do love the Lord, for those of you guys who have made sacrifices, you're not making as much money as you could make if you worked another job or if you worked overtime. Why? Because you've been called, you've been called to sacrifice, you've been called to suffer, you name it, the spiritual oppression that happens when an individual gets involved in ministry. There's so many things that we could talk about, but there are people that you've never met that you have impacted because of the fact that you're serving the Lord the way you have. And this is what happened with Paul the Apostle. He said, I'm suffering for you. Imagine that, a church that he had never met. But he says there in verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. He rejoices in the sufferings. Why? Because the people would be blessed and they would benefit as a result of that. He said the same thing in Ephesians 3.13. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. You know, one of the things that I think that, you know, I have to share with you guys is that pastors are called to suffer more than the sheep are. I think a lot of times we got it backwards and we think, well, let me serve the the leader. Let me serve the pastor. No, the pastor, preacher, teacher, leader is supposed to be the servant. So it's okay for them to sacrifice. It's okay for us to suffer. Here we see as a result of that, Paul rejoices, you know, I think primarily because it pleases Jesus And secondly, because it helps people. But thirdly, because I tell you what, if you genuinely suffer and sacrifice your life for God, then you will be rewarded greatly forever in heaven. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Maybe you're here and you live in a tent. You live in a shack. You're renting over there. Well, in heaven, you've got a mansion waiting for you. So we need to know these things. We need to understand, listen, you know, ministers, Paul here, he's going to be a vessel. I want Christ to be in these people. I love these people. I want to help them. Then you, we have to be willing, especially pastors, leaders, we have to be willing to suffer. We have to be willing to sacrifice. He says there in verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Lord, how can we help them? Lord, how can that person live a life as a Christian, as this is, this is how Christ would live. We all have our personalities. God doesn't want to change that, but God wants to give us the character of Christ. God wants to give us the power of the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, how can this happen? 
Well, somebody, especially leaders, got to be willing to sacrifice and suffer. And, and we have to understand that word right there, our stewardship. It says again in verse 25, which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. You know, Paul at one time, you know, he was a Pharisee. He had this whole career set up. He was going to be rich and famous. And then God called him instead to be a poor Christian preacher. And so as a result of that, he had this calling to be a a minister, a full-time minister. The Greek word is diakonos, which is a fascinating word. It literally means to kick up dust, to kick up dust. And so it refers, have you guys ever seen uh, Charlie Brown? Do you guys remember Pigpen? Remember all the dust that was all around him? Well, that's kind of the visual we have right here. To kick up dust refers to servants who are called to move in a, hur- in a hurry, just running errands for my master, whatever it is, whatever direction, Lord, I'm willing to go. But sometimes God gives us marching orders and we don't march, we delay. And it's like, what's up with that? If you're a servant, then you're going to be kicking up dust. If you're a servant, then you're going to be moving, right, in a hurry. Paul was given this stewardship And what we find is that ministers, pastors, and in one sense, all of us have a stewardship, but I want to make sure I emphasize this, that leaders, leaders, we are called especially to serve, especially to pray, especially to fast, especially to sleeplessness, especially to sacrifice. I think what happens a lot of times is we're, we do ministry conveniently and we can. You know, it's our stewardship. And the, and the Greek word right here, oikonomia, it literally means managing a household. It emphasizes responsibility and accountability. How one day, you know, we've been given this, uh, you know, and I always think about that. I don't know if it's the right word to, to use. Hopefully you guys will show me grace on this, but I think it's in Spider-Man where he says, with great power comes great responsibility, right? And I've also heard it in another Japanese song. But anyways, that's beside the point. It's a beautiful song. But, you know, we have been given this privilege. We've been given this responsibility, and therefore we have a great accountability. You know, let not many of you become teachers. So, you know, part of it is make sure you don't teach the wrong thing. But another part of it is make sure you don't live the wrong life. Make sure you don't live a lazy life. We have this great responsibility as stewards who've been given a title with a task, who've been given this role and responsibility. But of course we know to a, a, to a lesser degree and maybe in one sense it's something that's uh, applicable to all of us. We all have uh, an, uh, an aspect of stewardship. You know, and, and it's, it's almost like Jesus is saying here, Manny, take care of this for me. These are my people. They are the most precious commodity on planet Earth. Serve them. Love them. This is what we see here Paul is sharing. You know, we've all been given talents. The Bible talks about that in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. We've all been given uh, minas, and we have gifts and, you know, things and places in the body of Christ. And, And one day we'll give an account. And so you don't have to be famous, you don't have to be fancy, but you do, we do have to be faithful. And that's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. 
And so here we have the suffering as a minister and we learn the importance of that. I pray that we're willing to sacrifice. I pray that we're willing to suffer. And then we see the stewardship of the minister, how God has given to all of us certain role and responsibility in the body of Christ. I pray that you would know where you're supposed to be serving. It starts with your family, but it extends to the flock. And and then thirdly, we have the scriptures through the minister. Look what he says in verse 24 again. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, notice, to fulfill the word of God. That's what is supposed to be taking place when you go to church. That's supposed to be taking place when you go, you know, to the, to the fellowship. Make sure that guy is teaching you the Bible. Make sure he opens it up and he, he you know, exposits those words that we're reading. The NIV says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The NLT says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This is why we at Calvary Chapel, we teach from Genesis to Revelation. I know that we could probably get more people if we just talked about topics that are interesting to them, you know, and hey, this is the latest trend, or here's what sociology is saying, this is what psychology is saying. You know, a midweek service, we're going through the book of Ezekiel. It's a tough book. But God hasn't called me to, you know, share what they want to hear. God has called us to teach the word of God. This is what Paul says right here. This is why we spend so much time in the word of God, the Bible. Whenever we get together as a church, we open up the Bible. This is our responsibility. Those of you guys are signing up your kids to go to the snow. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. But guess what? They're going to hear a Bible study. And those of you guys who are going to the escape room, I would like to go with you. I think we should do a marriage escape room thing, don't you think? I think that would be fun. But before we go, there is going to be, before the young adults go, there will be a Bible study. There's a Bible study going on in the children's ministry. There's a Bible study going on in the youth ministry because we know this is what we're called to do. I don't know if you guys ever, I mean, you probably, most of you here, you've had a family member, you know, maybe it was your, you know, your, your Thea Lourdes or, or Maria or something, and, you, and you, have, you guys, you go over her house, and man, it, it doesn't matter if you just ate, she makes you eat. Huh, have you guys ever had a, a relative like that? You know, you go over, the food is ready, it's delicious, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're hungry or not. They, in a, in a kind and loving way, they kind of force you to sit down and eat. It's almost intrinsic within them. They see it as their responsibility to feed you. Well, this is what we are as a church. Why? Because this is what God says. Now, nowadays, times are changing. You go over someone's house and, hey, let's go get some pizza or whatever. You know, nowadays it's a little different. Maybe it's not like that. I kind of wish it was. Not only is it changing in families, but it's changing in churches. Where you go to churches a lot of times and they're not teaching you the word. A lot of pastors don't see this part of their responsibility. They don't see this stewardship. They, get never, they never read this verse. 
but our responsibility is to fulfill the word and proclaim his entire message. As a matter of fact, when Jesus commissioned Peter into the ministry, he said, hey, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. This is our responsibility to teach the word of God. Teaching the scriptures is necessary because for some, and you know, we're living in a world today where they would much rather go to the movies. They would much rather watch television. They'd much rather go here and there and everywhere and be entertained rather than being built up spiritually. So what we have to do is continue to teach the word and hopefully people will develop an appetite for the Bible. Notice what he says right here in verse 25 again, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And then he says, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but it now has been revealed to the saints. You know, there were some things in the Old Testament that were kind of hidden. And that they were, they were there, but they were under the superficial reading of your typical Jewish person of the day who chose to be under the law. And Paul here says, now times are different. Now there's a revelation. Things have changed. There are certain things that have now been brought to the surface and exposed. The Holy Spirit, as you read the Bible, calls them mysteries. And there are actually 12 mysteries in the Old Testament which are unveiled in the New tucked away in the old, so to speak, but revealed now in the new. You know, one of them, for example, just to throw out a couple, is the doctrine of the Trinity. You read the Old Testament, it's there, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God and three persons. There in the Old Testament implicitly, but explicitly revealed in the New Testament. Another thing we see implicit in the old is probably even more obvious is not only would there be one coming of the Messiah, but there would be two. And so it's there implicit in the old, but explicit in the new. Another thing that's really interesting, when you read the Old Testament, really, the doctrine of justification by faith is in the Old Testament. Some people say, well, no, in the Old Testament, you know, they had to offer the animals and the sacrifices and they had to do the Levitical law and all that kind of stuff, civil ceremonial law. And, and yeah, it's true. But if you really read the Old Testament, you'll find that even then, Abraham was justified by faith. You read Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, it says the just shall live by faith. It was there in the Old Testament, now explicitly revealed in the New Testament. The New Testament took three verses in Romans and Galatians and Hebrews to elaborate on that one, Habakkuk 2, 4, to, to, to reveal these mysteries. You know, there's a really a good saying and that is this, that is the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. And so when you're reading your Bibles, it's amazing to me, you just dig a little deeper and God shows you things that are just so beautiful. You know, one of my favorites is in the book of Numbers chapter 21. You guys might remember the story. It was when the people of Israel, they were complaining against Moses and they were complaining against God. And so God then allowed serpents to go and bite them. Anyone of you here ever been bit by a snake? Just curious. 
So that would be a trip, being bit by a snake. And so they were dying. And so they went to Moses and they said, Moses, we've sinned. We've spoken against you. We've spoken against God. And so God then told Moses, you take this brass a snake, you put it on a pole, you lift it up, you read the book of Numbers chapter 21, and if you lift up the snake, this you know serpent on a pole, if they just look at it, they'll be healed, they'll be saved. And then you read in the New Testament something wonderful in John chapter 3, 14 and 15. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, that's, that's the gospel. You, you see it in the Old Testament, a visual. You mean all I have to do is look? Yeah. You look to Jesus who died for you on the cross. Jesus said, this is what that meant. It was actually symbolically pointing to me. And so you have these things in the old that are revealed in the new. You know, we have, of course, ultimately, probably the most important thing there in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. In the Old Testament, it talks about how one day there would be a new testament. One day there would be a new covenant. And that covenant would be based on the blood of animals, but on the blood of God's Son. And so right here, as as Paul is saying, hey, I want Christ to be in you. I want Christ to set you free. I want Christ to set my family free. I want Christ to work in me. I want his character. I want his power. Then then, then the Lord says, well, well, Paul, you know, as he's writing, this is how he lived. Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing? Are you truly willing to, to take up this, um, this um, responsibility you have as a steward? And are you willing? Because the world, the other people, they might not be interested in the scriptures. Are you willing to just share those scriptures with all your heart? And then that's what Paul does right here. You know, hidden from ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Notice in verse 27, it says, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Here it is. This is the mystery. Remember I told you there's 12? This is one of them. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is a mystery. You know, in the Old Testament, you know, we saw God come down and live in the tabernacle. And you can read about it. And the Shekinah glory came down and just filled the tabernacle. And then you can read later on when Solomon built the, the temple, this marvelous temple, how the Shekinah glory of came down and just filled the temple, flooded the temple with this beautiful presence of God, right? And so you're thinking, well, you know, that's where God lives, in that building or that building, But then we realize now, no, the mystery now is unveiled. That was just a shadow of the substance that one day God would live in us. We are the temple of God. It's not the building. Just in case you guys noticed when you walked in, it's not that fancy, huh? (laughs) Not the building. It's the people. And the Bible talks about this. For example, in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 3 speaks of us congregationally. When we come together, this is why it's so beautiful to come together as a church. You know, you could watch it online and, you know, I know some people, they have to, but there ain't nothing like being there 
And there ain't nothing like being there on a Sunday morning with the rest of the body because God lives in his congregation as we gather together, as we love on one another. It's an amazing thing that God does. He lives in us congregationally, but he also lives in us personally. The Bible talks about that in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? My, my body. He says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 6, 16. You know, and this is the mystery that is now unveiled here. And to me, it just blows me away to think, but to know and to experience the fact that that Christ lives in me. Romans 8.10 specifically says, Christ is in you. 2 Corinthians 13.5, it talks about the fact that Christ is in you if you are a Christian. So that's the big question this morning. Are you really a Christian? 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in your faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you are disqualified? See, we're here today because we love you and we want Jesus to be in you. He died for you. He rose again. It's a different life. When you look at your life and you're like, well, man, there's no change. I'm still getting high. I'm still getting drunk. I'm still sleeping around. I'm still doing, I really have no interest in the Bible or praying and you're looking at your life. There's no evidence that you're really saved. But when you're saved, it's a different life. If you're not saved, then get saved today. Give your life to Christ. Come to him. Don't make an excuse. Don't say, well, I'm not ready. Don't say, well, I got to get rid of this and that and the other. No, come as you are. He is the only one who can clean up your life. Don't let anyone stop you from coming. Not your boyfriend, not your girlfriend, not whoever it might be. You have to come to Christ. And when you come to Christ, he lives inside of you. This is what we read here. You know, and it's even more than, than just a, a house. It becomes a home. I love Ephesians 3.17. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And that word dwell, it means to settle down. It means that God begins to do such a beautiful work in your life that when he comes into your heart, he feels at home. That's really what he's talking about here. And that's an individual that grows as a Christian. You know, one of my favorite scriptures in all the world is that I've been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. It's not, no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you haven't received Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is the most important thing, not just of today, but of your life. And I pray that today you would give him your heart. You know, right here, Paul says in verse 28, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. You know, and it's him that we preach because it's him who saves I think it's safe to say to all preachers and teachers, no matter where or when you have the opportunity to talk to others, 
Give them Jesus. Preach Christ and him crucified. It doesn't matter where you're at in the Bible, Obadiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Revelation. It doesn't matter where you are. You can always preach Christ and him crucified because this is what we need to hear. The world today, they don't want that name. You know, you can talk about God. Oh, that's nice. You can talk about faith. Oh, that's nice. You can talk about prayer. You know, that's nice. But once you name the name of Jesus, now you're talking about something different that the world, some embrace and some get offended. You know, we have to make sure that we preach him. You know, Jesus said in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. You know, it's not just, oh yeah, the Bible kind of generic thing. No, it's Jesus. You can open up anywhere in the Bible. You can cut it anywhere and it bleeds red. It's all the blood of Jesus. And that's why in the early days of the church, the religious leaders of the day, they told the apostles, don't preach in his name. They told me at the city council meetings in Almani, don't pray in his name. But then the Bible says, and the apostle said, who should we obey, God or man? I have to pray in his name and we have to preach his name. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus loves you. Jesus saves you. You know, we hear, he says, you need to warn everyone. We need to warn others that they need Jesus. You know, don't try living life without him. Whatever you do, don't leave earth without him. A life without Jesus will fall to pieces and an eternity without Jesus will perish. So you warn people, you, you teach people how awesome the Lord is, you know, the blessing of being a Christian, you know. This morning, as I was kind of typing and reviewing my notes, I paused at this truth for a second, and I'll be honest with you guys, like I thought about it, wow, Lord, you live inside of me. All of a sudden, I just felt his presence just pass through my body up and down and all around and overwhelm me. I'm not, I'm not saying it happens like that all the time. But some of you guys, you know what I'm talking about. What I'm trying to say is this is real. This is true. He lives inside of us. Be open to learning everything you can about him. As a matter of fact, I was wondering, any of you here want to be rich? I'm just curious. How many of you here would be like, hey, that'd be cool. (laughs) You know, imagine being able to buy those crazy houses or go on those crazy vacations or... I don't know, that I can maybe buy my wife a decent piece of jewelry or something, you know? I wish I was rich, man. You know, but um, I am. I am rich. You are rich. You are rich in, in riches that will never fade away. The way that your flesh, and I know because I'm a man too, the way that your flesh, it wants money, is the way that our spirit and our heart should want Jesus. Because he's what makes us rich. He's who makes us rich. Notice what he says right here. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And that's our goal. 
How many of you would be interested in saying, Lord, use my life to save people. Lord, use my life to help people. Well, that's what happens when we're willing to suffer, when we're willing to embrace our stewardship, when we're willing to to preach the scriptures, to, to share Jesus with people, then they will be presented perfect. Perfect before God one day as I scrutinize them with his eyes of omniscience, they'll see no sin because they're covered with the blood. And this word right here is not just about eternity. It's about life on earth where there is maturity. God will use you in some way to bring people to that place of spiritual maturity. And and as I read this right here, I just find myself, and those of you guys here who are pastors, you are consumed with this. This is is your heart. This is your desire because you love God and you love people, and you want them to be saved, and you want them to be sanctified. And so here Paul tells us, well, this is how Christ, he, 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 he goes into the lives of people. Number one, this, here's the outline finally, the suffering as a minister. Number two, the stewardship of the minister. Number three, the scriptures through the minister. And today we talked about the written word, and the living word, how we need to pre- preach plainly the mysteries and preach of Jesus, the Messiah. But then in closing, you know, we have to, we, we see here Paul talking about the striving of the minister. Now, you could read this, we could read this, and we could probably just say that was Paul. And then you can walk away and go and, you know, to Cain's and just whatever, live the rest of your Sunday and your week, whatever it is, and not let it impact you whatsoever. But I get inspired by, you know, someone like maybe even a Tom Brady or, you know, a Kobe Bryant or, yeah, you might not like LeBron James. I'm not sure where you guys are all in, in all this, but man, look at their effort. Look at what they've done with their gifts. We need to do the same for that excellence. And this is kind of what Paul closes with. Look at verse 29. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So in this last verse right here, we simply see the exceptional effort Paul exerted because of his love for God and his love for the people. You know, the word labor right here, it means to work hard. It means to toil to the point of fatigue. It means to grow weary, tired, exhausted. The, the word, you know, working here is where we get our word energy. And it speaks of uh, working efficiently, effectively. Here we have this word, you know, again, works, meaning to be active, efficient, fervent, and powerful, kind of like putting some oomph into it, you know? As a matter of fact, where it says works in me mightily, the word mightily is that word dunamis, and that's, just, that's God's strength. We work with everything that we can, and then God then kind of comes in and works alongside with us. We call it a commission, right? And, and then there's this word striving, which is a, a fascinating word, It literally refers to an athlete competing to win the prize 
first place. Does, has anyone here ever like tried to win an Olympic gold medal? I'm just curious. You never know. Maybe some of you young people can do it. It's not too late, but you all, you would probably acknowledge the fact that it requires a tremendous amount of sacrifice and suffering and striving. As a matter of fact, the Greek word right here is where we get our word agony from. It's agonizing. This is what Paul the Apostle said. He was involved in in order that God might use him to help others. You know, I, I wonder not just about you. Sometimes I do wonder, Lord, are we working the way that we should? And sometimes I even think of myself, Lord, what about me? Now, I know we've heard phrases like, Manny, inspiration, not perspiration. Manny, relax, you know? And yeah, you know what? There's a balance there where you're, you're trusting God. But I tell you what, and I, and I have a feeling, there are many lazy pastors i don't want to be one of them if you're a pastor you don't want to be one of them paul here yeah he's talking to the people but it is a, it is especially especially applicable to the leaders and the pastors see we're called to have this heart to serve and so i'll close with this i almost hesitate to share it with you guys because some of you guys might take it the wrong way, but that's okay. I mean, some of you don't like me, but I love you. You know, recently I needed to bring my blood pressure down. And so, you know, when it comes to high blood pressure, how many of you guys have high blood pressure? I'm just curious. Um, I'm not that too many of you, man. I must be a big sinner, but anyways. Um, I needed to bring it down. And so you guys know part of it's genetic, um, part of it is your diet, uh, part of it may be stress, you need to re- you know, kind of get rid of some stress, maybe a, a part of it is exercise, right? They, they say that that's how you can get it down. And so uh, as I was trying, I couldn't get it down. I, I tried changing my diet, didn't change it. I tried you know, reducing stress, it didn't change it. Um, and so I you know, did exercise, but here's the problem. I, I was going to the gym, but, but I wasn't really working hard at the gym. You know, and so I'm there, you know, on the elliptical, and I'm going, you know, whatever. And for me, and you guys, whatever you do, don't listen to the numbers too much because I don't want to kill you. And, uh, you know, for everyone, the average heart rate has to be different. Right? It just depends on you and where you're at and how old you are. And there's a lot of different factors. But for me, because I used to run and because I do exercise fairly you know, frequently, I'm there and I'm just cru- cruising along at 130 average heart rate. And it wasn't doing anything to me. And, and so God just said, you know, like, what's wrong with you? You're, you're lazy when you work out. Why do you even go work out? You're not even trying. You know, when you used to wrestle, you used to sweat. Why don't you sweat now? God said all that to me. I heard him say that. <laughs> and so I said, okay, Lord. And so I said, put some crazy Japanese music on. And then I'm just joking. I put, I, you know, you do need the, the good music. And I started working hard. And next thing you know, as I'm exercising, everything changed. And now my average heart rate, when I do, my uh, cardiovascular is 163. So that's just for me. So for you, it might be different. But all I'm saying is that it changed 
everything. Before, when my heart was in it like this, it wasn't really in it. It was only in it to a certain extent. It was just that. It wasn't changing. It wasn't doing anything. But then when my heart really got into it, I said, I'm going to do this with all my heart because that's how we're called to be Christians. When, it, when I did that, it, it brought my, my, my blood pressure down. So finally, when I go back to the doctor's, I go back to the doctors, 113 over 76? Are you serious? Thank you, Jesus, because it was up at 170. So what I'm saying is this, that, you know, Paul here is talking about laboring and agonizing and striving, and, you know, he's doing that. And again, I'm not really interested all that much in the physical part because that's just temporary but I guess the question is spiritually, where's my heart? I pray that we would take these things to heart and just know that, you know, we got to make sure we're not lazy. Now, I'm not a real big rebuker. I don't think I am. <laughs> but I like what Matthew Poole said. He said, it is not lazy wishes or cold endeavors that will bring people to heaven. I think a lot of us have lazy wishes, lazy prayers. Oh, we do it, yeah, but we're not on fire. And so God is saying, hey, check out what Paul did. You want to be used by me like him. You want God to be glorified. You want people to be set free and saved and blessed and encouraged and used. Then Manny, you got to step it up. And so I pray that would be all of our hearts here today. The part of the message, the, the part of the message is for ministers, right? Definitely. But the heart of the message is Christ in you. You're a Christian, Christ is in you. If you're not a Christian, I pray that today you would say yes. I'm going to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior so that he will come and live in your heart.